On behalf of the Hume family, we want to welcome you and thank you for coming today to the celebration of the life of Charlene Grace Hume. We have spent uh, a lot of time the last week praying over and intentionally planning a service that we believe honors God, exalts Christ, brings the comfort of the Holy Spirit, celebrates life, and trusts God in death. And it's, a, it's an honor for me as we begin this morning's service to introduce you to a very special man to the Hume family. His name is Pastor Carl Castle. And uh, you'll hear a little bit more about him in a little bit, but he was the pastor who was able to marry uh, Chris and Bess, and his wife is the woman whom Charlene was named after. So Pastor Carl, if you would come and start us off this morning. Thank you, Chris, best for the privilege of being here today. I happened to, I wasn't the pastor, but I was opening the Word of God one Sunday morning a bunch of years ago. Two young people came and talked to me after that service, and Chris and Bess came to be one, and my wife and I had the joyful privilege of becoming their friends and they ours during those years. There was only ever one Charlene in my life until Charlene Hume showed up. The Lord removed the first one a little about a little over a year ago, very suddenly, while she was a few months older than I. We both seemed to be in pretty good health, and within 12 hours she got sick and was gone. Cerebral hemorrhage took her, but she loved the Lord. And she loved people. She loved me. We had a great life together. It's a tremendous thing to me to receive a letter from Chris and Bess that talked about the birth of a fifth child in their family. And to have that letter say, we're not sure how well this child will be or even whether she will be stillborn or if she lives to live short a very short life needing care but we want to call her Charlene and that was overwhelming to me very thankful but what has brought us together is the truth of the Lord and I'm very thankful for that. It's my privilege to open a part of God's Word. Revelation chapter 21, the first number of verses. Did you ever hear someone say, is there a good God? How could he create a world like this? I've heard that said. And I've learned that a, a, at least one good way to respond is to say, 
you have to start reading at the beginning of the book of Revelation, and the beginning of the Bible, not the fifth chapter of Revelation, sixth chapter, I mean, where destruction and death and illness ride forth. We need to start where God starts and with him. This world is not now like he created it. Sin entered. But he has announced his program. He's carrying it out through the Lord Jesus and the outpouring of God's spirit. And someday he will bring it to glorious newness. This is the way he talks about it through the Apostle John. John is the I that speaks here. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. O Lord God, we thank you that you are the creator of heaven and earth. And not only does that mean that you're very wise and powerful, but it also means that you are holy and full of grace. Help us understand who you are. Teach us. I thank you today for Charlene Grace's parents, her siblings, grandparents, other family members. And I ask, Lord God, that as you have been sustaining 
and strengthening physically so you will minister spiritually to each one. You know us. Speak to us. Teach us. Bring comfort. Strengthen. O oh Lord God, the shortness of the life of Charlene Grace brings pain and raises questions in our human hearts and minds. But we trust you. We know that you're in charge, sovereign ruler over all things. We also know that you love your people so dearly and this is not just some feeling we have. You have told us, knowing sin would come, you planned redemption. And your son, the Lord Jesus, was willing for the humiliation and pain of becoming human and being separated from you for our sake. But you raised him from the dead, and today he's seated at your right hand. Therefore, we praise you for pouring out your Holy Spirit that we might learn of you, and we pray that you would minister, especially to Chris and Bess, to Noel and Leland and Arwen, and Hudson, all of the family. So speak to us while we're here, then comfort us as we go. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Chris and Bess asked if I would take some time this morning and for many of you uh, introduce you to Charlene and tell you about her life, what the last nine months looked like. So much of this for some of you would be familiar, uh, for the rest of you it may not, but I, I get the privilege of sharing about this sweet girl's life with you. In July 2018, Chris and Bess found out that they were pregnant with their fifth child. That December... They had an ultrasound and were able to determine the gender of the baby. When they opened up the card revealing the gender, they were excited to find out that the pattern of girl-boy, girl-boy had continued. They would be welcoming their third daughter into their lives. Over the next several days as they discussed possible names, a name came out and once it did, it stuck. It was a mutual no-brainer. This name was Charlene. Back before Chris and Bess were married early in their days of following Christ, they were seeking a Christ-centered, gospel-preaching church. They came to a church where, as Pastor Carl mentioned, he was not the pastor but was preaching the Word of God that morning. In fact, he was preaching from the Psalms, Chris remembers, with conviction and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And They were 
so encouraged and strengthened and exhorted that morning that Chris had to go up and meet this man and share what an encouragement he was. That moment began a wonderful friendship between Carl, his wife, and Chris and Bess, and later on, Chris and Bess's family. Pastor Carl, they mentioned that you were an unbelievable shepherd for them during those times, which is a huge part of why you married them and they continued to grow in that relationship over about 10 years ago. Carl's wife became one of the sweetest blessings to this young couple. As you know, her name was Charlene. Charlene was a sweet woman known for loving God and loving people, and she especially loved children. She would later teach the Hume children to sing songs along with her. She was known as a cheerful woman with an unbelievable, hospitable heart. Over the years, Chris and Bess would have dinner at the castle's home often. They grew in the Lord, they grew as a family, and they grew in their friendship with the castle family. As Brother Carl mentioned, last January, Charlene passed suddenly into the presence of the Lord, and Chris and Bess made the easy decision to name their sweet, cheerful, hospitable woman who loved people and loved the Lord. Within a few days, of finding out the gender and naming her Charlene, Bess received a phone call from the doctor. And it was during this phone call that the doctor began to explain to Chris and Bess that some concerns came up with the last set of testing and they wanted them to come back immediately for some more blood work and test ultrasound. Charlene showed heart defects and some brain issues, along with a couple of other concerns that when combined together showed signs of either trisomy 13, 18, or 21. When they had the next ultrasound at Christiana in December, it was confirmed that this sweet baby Charlene indeed had trisomy 18. Chris and Bess met with the genetic counselor right away and began the process of understanding the condition, what life would be like, and what it would mean for Charlene and the Hume family moving forward. It was revealed to them that babies with trisomy 18 are not expected to live past their first birthday, and many, in fact, will die shortly after birth. Chris and Bess expressed to the medical staff that they were prepared to care for Charlene for as long as the Lord provided and sustained her. Although the name Charlene came before Chris and Bess were aware of Charlene's condition, they added the middle name Grace after they found out. They chose this name because they knew that this sweet little girl was indeed a gift from God. Charlene Grace Hume would be her name, the perfect name for this little baby. A baby girl who in just nine months would bring cheer to many, would cause others to love God and love people. A baby girl who would stir young children, namely her siblings, to sing songs to the Lord. Indeed, she was a gift from God. She lived up to her name. Over the next three months, life with Charlene was indeed precious. The Humes would, as usual, participate in consistent family worship. They would read scripture and pray, sing, all the while including baby Charlene in this special time. They would acknowledge her, sing with her, pray for her. The family would share scripture with one another to encourage each other over the last several months. They'd sing songs together from the Psalms. Charlene's siblings, Noel, Leland, Arwen, and Hudson would write notes and place them on mommy's belly. 
Charlene's brothers and sisters would read to her often. They even had a game where they would each get a chance to put their hand on Bess's belly and count how many times Charlene kicked. Whoever got the most kicks that night would win. They prayed for baby Charlene every night. Many of you remember a video that Chris and Bess posted back in February about Charlene and how thankful to God they were for this gift of life. They confess that God in his infinite wisdom works out all things according to the counsel of his will, for his glory and the good of his people, that children are indeed a blessing from the Lord, and all of God's gifts are to be received with thanksgiving. Chris and Bess and their sweet children certainly lived this out, as you all know here today. Chris, Bess, and many others prayed that God would heal Charlene if it was according to his plan, certainly believing that God was able to, but also understanding that God doesn't always choose to heal on this earth. But he is still God, he is still holy, he is still sovereign, and he is still good. They continued to pray that they would trust in God's perfect plan. They prayed that God would give them grace each day to trust him, obey him, and love him. That has been a huge prayer these last several months and will continue to be their prayer moving forward, that God would give them strength for each moment of each day. Grace for each moment of every day. They pray that they would not be anxious, that they would continually be reminded through God's word, the saints, and the comfort of God's spirit, that God is good and he is a timely provider. Last Wednesday, March 20th, Chris and Bess arrived at the hospital early in the morning. Bess was induced and such began a long day of labor. And at 7.28 p.m., Charlene Grace Hume was stillborn. In the next several hours, Chris was able to bathe his sweet daughter. Charlene's Aunt Becky, Charlene's oldest sister, Noel, oldest brother, Leland, were all able to hold her. The medical staff who had been with Chris and Bess the whole time all stayed long after their shifts to be with Charlene and the Humes. Dr. Jess was the one who delivered baby Charlene. Dr. Wendy Sturtz was also there the whole time, and she was the one who met so often, spent hours upon hours with Chris and Bess the last several months, always encouraging them, affirming Charlene as a, a person, and talking through what the next steps would look like. Another one of the nurses, Whitney, also stayed with the family after birth. In fact, I had an opportunity to speak with them at the hospital. And uh, Dr. Wendy mentioned to me it was one of the most meaningful moments of her medical practice to see how this family handled with unbelievable grace and faith what so many people would see as a disaster and you saw as a sweet gift from the Lord. Around 9 p.m., Chris... Bess, Becky, Noel, Leland, Dr. Wendy, Dr. Jess, Whitney, and myself all had a service to dedicate Charlene to the Lord and thank God for the sweet gift and also to ask the Lord for his continued grace, his strength, and his comfort. Bess was holding Charlene as we read Psalm 139 that acknowledged that Charlene was woven intricately in Bess's womb, that she was not a mistake but a good and perfect gift from above. We affirmed with Psalm 139 that every one of Charlene's days were written before even one of them came to be. So we praised the Lord because he made her, and she was indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. 
We sang Psalm 119, verse 65 through 66. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. We sang Psalm 119, verses 81 through 82. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? In the chorus, you are sovereign, God. You are infinitely wise. You love with a perfect love. God, will you comfort me? We sang Psalm 119, verse 75 through 76. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. And then per Leland's request, we sang one of his favorites, Psalm 119, 67 through 68. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. These songs had been sung over Charlene for months. As we wept, family, friends, and medical staff, we cried out to a God who was not absent from that room, but right there with us, loving us, comforting us, assuring us of his control and his goodness. And although Chris and Bess expected more time with Charlene, the time they had was nothing short of a merciful and gracious gift from a good and loving father. We prayed together and thanked God for the time Charlene had with her family during the last nine months in Bess's womb. She has blessed so many of us in so many ways. We prayed confessing that our hope is in Christ and in his mercy. We prayed believing that Charlene is safe in the arms of God. And we prayed in anticipation of the day when we get to meet her with the Lord when she rises in the resurrection on the last day. Bess had shared that one thing that stands out to her during the past several months is how she was able to talk about Charlene with others. God encouraged her to be open and transparent instead of being solitary. Bess has been able to share Charlene with others during the pregnancy and others have been encouraged and she's thankful for the opportunity to magnify God through the whole process and to be open with everyone. Interactions online with all kinds of people who believe all kinds of different things. Charlene's life meant a lot of people were exposed to how the Lord gives life, and it is precious. Chris also said that Charlene has helped them have a glimpse of what many parents go through, specifically parents with disabled children who have lost little ones. It has humbled them. He mentioned he probably would not have learned so much about Pastor Nate and Kim if Charlene didn't prompt it. I know they were able to have dinner and connect several times leading up to this. I told Chris and Bess that in my 31 years of life, I'm not sure I've ever been able to be a part of something so intimate and beautiful, filled with real, tangible hope of the gospel than in that hospital room. The room was full of sadness, but it was not empty of hope. It was full of grief, but not the grief of the world. The testimony of Charlene Grace Hume is that her life declared the glory of a sovereign, holy good and loving God to every person who came in contact with her life these last nine months. And her life will continue to impact people with the hope of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Charlene, a sweet baby who exhorted people to love God and love one another. Charlene, a sweet baby who prompted, like Charlene Castle, little children to sing to God and sing his word. Charlene, a sweet baby who encouraged their mother to step out of her comfort zone. 
Charlene, a sweet baby who thrusted her daddy into a deeper understanding of being a shepherd. Charlene, grace, a good and merciful gift from God. There's a song that Bess and Chris have asked to be sung this morning. Well, I'm Nate Graham of Breen Community Church, and I have to say, the last time I spoke a message here was to um, an audience that by and large was hostile to the gospel, and so to come in here and to see the gospel of Christ magnified, and to see the proper dignity um, placed in Charlene, um, and to just sense the worship that is in this room to our good and sovereign God is just um, absolutely amazing. Praise God for, for the hope that he has in his gospel. Well, Chris and Bess, I want you guys to know from the moment you told me about Charlene's diagnosis, I shared that with Bree and Church, and they've been praying fervently for you both and coming up to me last night and asking how you were. So you have a whole other church behind you loving and praying on you for you guys. Um, Chris asked me to speak, and I think in part um, because we share uh, some similar uh, experiences um, in special needs children, in losing children, and he wanted me to share a little bit of my story, and I'm only going to touch on it a little bit because it has to do with how Charlene is already blessing me um, in my life. Uh, my wife and I, uh, Kim, uh, were given two special needs boys with uh, rare genetic syndromes, Titus and Noah. And Titus passed at four and a half, and, our, and Noah passed at uh, eight and a half. And in October of 2016, when, uh, when Noah passed, uh, we had spent a whole decade taking care of uh, highly medically complicated special needs uh, boys, and so when God took the last one, um, we went from being very busy to a very quiet and still house. Um, and suddenly I'm sitting there, and obviously I have plenty to do as a, as a pastor and a husband and a father of a, a little girl, but suddenly I'm sitting there feeling like I have nothing to do because it was just so life-consuming. And so I wanted to do something. I wanted to fill my life um, at least I thought on Fridays I want to devote myself to something that honors God and honors my boys. And so the Lord led me to go to Planned Parenthood and to be a sidewalk counselor, try to talk with some of the women that are there going in for abortions, share the gospel with them, uh, seek to appeal to them to keep their child and talk to the husbands and boyfriends that are there. And it was while I was there that I met Chris for the first time. I met Dave Aubrey for the first time. I met other dear uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and it was on those sidewalks where Chris also told me for the first time uh, the diagnosis um, of Charlene. And a few weeks, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Chris and Bess asked Kim and I to come over and kind of have pizza, and they asked us to share our experience. And I realized after I got through sharing it, uh, I don't think I had told that story from beginning to end. Um, since we lost our son a couple years ago. And as I'm driving home, I, I was just immediately aware of how 
amazingly edified I was by that whole conversation, to see your guys' hope in Christ, uh, just to be able to share that with you, encourage you with our story. Um, It was just amazingly edifying. It was medicine to the soul. And so I I praised God for that. And then after the Lord took uh, little Charlene, I went over, saw you guys again, and we we talked. We talked about uh, the depth of sorrow. We talked about... (laughs) The heights of joy that, that Charlene is safe in the arms of God. I, again, I was able to share just some, some personal things that I don't think I'd really shared with anyone else, how the Lord, just little things the Lord had done to encourage me. And as I was driving home from that little conversation we had, um, the Lord visited me in a powerful way with just an outpouring of joy in the hope of the resurrection that I haven't had in, in years. And it was, so, it was so encouraging, it was so personal to me, something that God personally did for me, because you guys shared Charlene with me, and you allowed me to, to walk alongside you in that. And, and so I, I want to thank you for that. I was intentionally not telling you about that until now, and to thank you for that experience. And so it it turns out Charlene's already the gift that's going <laughs> to gonna keep on giving. And I know she's, she's blessed my heart already in, in the role that God has for her in my life and my wife's life. Well, I want to spend a few minutes looking at Romans chapter 8. We live in a broken world. The burdens of this life are crushing. The sorrows are suffocating. And it almost appears that Paul is a little out of touch in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. And, you know, the first thing my mind goes to is, I'm not sure there's a greater suffering than holding your lifeless child in your arms. Are you talking about that suffering, Paul? If I compare that suffering to the glory that is to be revealed, you're telling me there's no comparison? And our inspired, authoritative word of God is saying, yes, there's absolutely no comparison because of the nature of the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, Nothing will ever justify the statement, there's no way this can be worth it. There's no way the pain can be worth the glory. And Jesus is saying, trust me, (laughs) you'll be there. It'll be worth the glory. So what glory is he talking about? I want to know what glory he's talking about. And so that's why I want to spend a few minutes in Romans chapter 8, because Romans chapter 8 just unpacks this glory. And I think this is the hope that all of us need, no matter our connection to Charlie. And this is the hope that absolutely all of us need. So, according to verse 11 of Romans 8, according to verse 30, this glory has already been established as our glorification. So this takes place when the Christian, that person who has repented and trusted in Christ, appears before God at his return, and with his eyes, as Job says, my eyes shall see him and not another. Nobody's going to see him for me. With my eyes, I look upon Christ And 1 John 3, 2 tells us there's a supernatural transaction that takes place where we are immediately transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. We are immediately given glorified bodies and we lock arm in arm with all the saints who have gone before, all our loved ones, and we worship God and all of his glory. We're given glorified bodies that will not implode 
in the presence of his fierce holiness, that's a real good advantage of the glorified body. I can, I can endure the glory of God and, and enjoy it and not be destroyed. And we're going to do that, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that is the glory that Paul is talking about. Romans 8 tells us that this glory is so wonderful that there's three groaners right now. There's a trio of groaners that are groaning in hope because they can't wait for it to take place. And so if you look at verse 19, the first groaner is this broken creation that knows that it's broken. It says in verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God. So creation has anxious longing. Creation is standing on its tiptoes. It is craning its neck to see the glory that is to be revealed. Now, why is creation longing for this? It's longing for this because it's presently uncomfortable. It's presently in pain, and it knows this will not always be the case. It knows it's going to be liberated. So verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, it didn't ask for this, but creation is subjected to futility, but not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. A lot of times futility means vanity or emptiness. Here it means frustration. And creation groans and it struggles and it strives because creation can never experience its full potential. Creation cannot, since the curse, experience the full strength and the full potential for which it was originally created to experience. It's like a a mighty boxer, very strong, highly trained, and he goes into the ring and his arms are weighed down with chains. And he can't experience his full potential. He can't put to use all his training, all his strength, and the same with creation. Creation cannot experience the full potential for which God created it because of this curse that's enslaving it to futility and weighing it down. It's as though when viruses and syndromes and natural disasters and natural evils, all these take place within God's creation and created order, it's as though we can hear creation saying, I'm sorry, I I wasn't originally created to do this. (laughs) I wasn't originally designed to do this. And we understand the sovereignty of God that stands behind it all, and that has to be, or God wouldn't be God, but we still understand Creation is not functioning the way God originally designed it to create. And so you hear creation groaning. And the most out-of-place element in all of creation is death. I hope you know that death is not a natural part of life. The world will say, well, death is just part of the circle of life, right? Well, that might be true for plant life. (laughs) That's not true for human beings that God has put his nefesh, he's put his spirit in. When the spirit of a human being is separated from the body, that also is not as God originally designed it. That's not a natural part of life. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So death is imposed into a system that God created because of the rebellion of man. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did they do? 
They declared their autonomy from God. They declared their independence. They, they essentially said, you know, we think it's a good thing to function separately from God. We, we actually think separation from God is a good thing. And God said, if you think separation is a good thing, allow me to give you separation. We'll call it death. Death, with, which is the separation from spirit and body, which, when our body gives way. And death, it is ultimately, if we don't have Christ to forgive us of our sins, it is ultimately eternal separation from God forever in eternal hell. Unless he saves us, unless he cleanses us. So separation is not a natural thing. Separation is not a good thing. Separation is death. Separation is judgment that God has put into this created world specifically because of man's rebellion against him. I think to tell someone to walk up to somebody and say, well, death's just natural. It's kind of like walking up to someone and breaking their arm and telling them, don't worry, it's just natural. (laughs) And as they groan, their groaning is telling you there's nothing natural about this. And that's what creation is saying. There's nothing natural about this at all. By their groaning, they tell us that death, disease, and disaster, this is not what what creation was created for. And so in this text, as we're we're watching the groaning take place, the, the groaning is not the groaning of those who have no hope or of a creation that is despairing, but there is actually hope. Listen to verse 21. What's the hope? The hope is that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. If you notice in that text, who is creation looking at? Creation is looking at the children of God. Creation has an eye poised on the children of God because it knows the children of God are the crown of God's creation. And when they get glorified, when all of us who are believers in this room get glorified, creation is saying, now it's my turn. (laughs) Now I'm going to be glorified. No more syndromes, no more viruses, no more tragedies, no more death, none of these things, because when the people of God get glorified, creation is liberated and glorified with it. And then we come to verse 23, and another groaner enters the trio. <laughs> so creation is groaning, and now who groans? It's, it's us who groan. We're groaning here today because of Charlene. Verse 20 And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Do you know what the first gift the Spirit of God gives us, the first gift of salvation? It's the awareness that we are totally and utterly helpless before God that I am dead in my trespasses and sins. No amount of good works, no amount of any of that will repay the debt that I've accrued against God. I am absolutely helpless. When you think of a special needs child, when you think of Charlene especially, um, she was absolutely helpless. She was a victim of a cruel syndrome that she had no control over, that her parents couldn't do anything about, that not the smartest doctor in the world could do anything about. And I think that has to be the most despairing thought to be a parent. If you've been a parent of a special needs child or a chronically ill child, and to have this thought, I can't help them. I can't rescue them. I can't deliver them. I I remember specifically 
when a particular ominous diagnosis was given for, um, for Noah, being up at AI, AI DuPont and standing over his crib and saying, and he didn't understand what I was saying, but I, I was saying, I'm sorry, I can't save you. I, I can't rescue you. And nobody in the world would have expected me or Chris and Bess <laughs> or anybody to be able to, to do that. But as parents, that's what we feel, right? I'm their dad. I'm their mom. I'm supposed to save them. I'm supposed to rescue them. That's, that's what I do. And it's this incredibly helpless feeling. And I'm so thankful that our Heavenly Father does not stand in the heavens and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't rescue you. In fact, just the opposite. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we're helpless, Christ dies for the ungodly. And how does this come to pass? Again, it comes to pass when a person comes to the end of themselves. The Spirit of God breaks through the insanity that we can live independently from God, that we can work our way to heaven, whatever spiritual conspiracy theory or lie we're buying into. But no, if I'm going to be saved, it must be by grace and grace alone, through faith and faith alone and Christ and Christ alone. And when that person repents and trusts in Him, they find that God has already sent His Holy Spirit to open their eyes to see their need. And the first gift they are given, it says right here in verse 23, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We are given as repentant people the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is, if you study this out, it is the Holy Spirit. And the ironic thing is that once that repentant believer is given the Holy Spirit, we immediately become aware, because of the Holy Spirit, we immediately become aware of the brokenness of our flesh and the brokenness of this world that we live in. And so one of our first cries after, thank you, God, is, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And so we're happy to be saved, but the Spirit of God immediately makes us aware that this isn't it. This body is not meant to last forever. There's good things to come for this body. This broken world, thank God, is not meant to last forever. There's good things to come for this broken world. And so we start to groan. But you see, it's not a groaning of despair and it's not a groaning of hopelessness. It's a groaning that we know the best is yet to come. We've already received the the first fruits of the gospel, the proof, the seal, the surety of our faith in the Holy Spirit. So we know that for, for certain this is going to come to pass. And we need this hope. Look at verse 24. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. So you can't see Charlene. (laughs) So you hope. And it's not a hope like I hope. It's a hope like an anchor that rests in the Holy of Holies, sure and steadfast, as certain as the resurrection of Christ. That's the hope that we have, that we will see what we have not yet seen. And so as creation groans, as we groan, there's one last groaner that joins in. In verse 26, it's the Holy Spirit. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And how appropriate is that? <laughs> because we go to God and we don't know what to say and our hearts are broken, our hearts ache. And we find that the Holy Spirit has already been groaning long before we didn't know what to say. It's the Holy Spirit doing the groaning. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is not just some sort of mechanical translator and transmitter of our words. But he's actually groaning. Why? Because he's excited too about our glorification. He's excited too about the Lord's return. He's excited too about making all things new. And so the Spirit of God is passionate for us to experience our hope. The Spirit of God is passionate for creation to experience its hope, the, the, the reforming of all things. And so the Spirit of God groans as proof. Now you think you're excited for it. <laughs> the Godhead far more excited for it. Now here's where, as we wind down, here's where the exhilarating and encouraging part of this passage is in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And the paragraph goes on, the golden chain of redemption, but it ends on the note of glorification. Now, we've all heard this verse before, all things work together for good. And it's typically used in that very cliche-ish kind of when life gives you lemons, God makes lemonade. <laughs> There's a silver lining in every cloud. That's typically how it's used. But if you look at this passage, that is not what it means. It means that a good and sovereign God is taking every particle of the cosmos, every wicked thing, every good thing, every freshly dug grave, Every blessing, every curse, he's taking all of that and he is directing it towards the bullseye of redemptive history, which is the day that he stands up and says, here I am. <laughs> I make all things new. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Here I am to be the end to death. Here I am to be the end to suffering. Here I am to be the end of eternal separation from loved ones. Here I am to be the end of every remnant of rebellious humanity and to glorify my people and to make them all, all brand new in me. Absolutely complete, body and soul, as it was in Eden, even better in the eternal state. So when God says he makes all things new, it's not that he's just going to bring good things out of this, which of course he is and already is and will. It means that he is taking this and he is bringing it <laughs> along with every other particle of creation and particle of reality and particle of truth, and he's bringing it towards that great day. Amen. Praise God. What an absolute hope. And that is where we are headed if we know Christ, if we trust in Christ. Charlene took a shortcut to that. <laughs> you can't really pity someone who escapes all the suffering and the troubles of this world and takes a shortcut to that experience. Let me end with Charles Spurgeon, what he says to bereaved parents. He says, bereaved parents, could you for a moment see your own offspring above? I think you would very speedily wipe away your tears. You might not have murmured had you received the promise that your child should have been elevated to your equal. So if God said, hey, I'm going to elevate her to your equal, what do you think of that? That's all right. 
And I've changed all the pronouns to she. She has been elevated higher than that to the equal of heaven. She has received the dignity of the immortals. She, has, she is robed in better than royal garments. She is more rich and more blessed than she could have been if all the crowns of earth could have been put on her head. How can we complain? And we don't. We praise God for a God that can do that. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you this afternoon, united here for those who have trusted in you, in you alone for salvation. We praise you for your kindness and your grace, your sovereign goodness that you would take precious little Charlene, safe in your arms, cover her in your sovereign grace. And then you would dispense even more grace to her parents and her siblings, aunts, uncles, friends, family, and assure our hearts. Only you can do this by faith, Lord. If there is someone here, God, who does not know you, who's hearing all this talk of hope, and they think, I don't know what that's about. God, I pray that today... They would fix their eyes on Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his victory over the grave, his sovereign hand that spans all of creation. And they would repent of their sins and trust in you and experience this same hope, God, that is our everlasting anchor. In Jesus' name, amen.